Thank you, worship team. Appreciate that very much. We are in a series that we are calling First Responders, and the series has to do with sometimes how our initial response to things in our lives may not be uh, what God actually desires for us. It may be a lot of flesh involved. And uh, today I want to talk about overcoming disappointment. Um, and I want to start with a definition of disappointment of, uh, is this, a, f- a feeling of dissatisfaction when one's hopes, desires, and expectations fail to come to pass. In his book, Rising Above the Crowd, Brian Harbour writes about a man named Oswald Smith. And he writes that Smith accepted Christ at 16 years of age. Uh, Oswald Smith is a Canadian. And uh, at at that young age, um, Smith began to feel an incredible burden and call that he would say was even a burning call to preach the gospel. He attended Bible college and then went on to seminary. And this is what Smith says. He said, I know as sure as I am alive, I must preach the gospel. There's nothing else in the world for me. That's a pretty significant statement. Young Smith would go and preach anywhere in his native British Columbia that he could. He would preach in lumber camps, which I'm sure were not easy places to spread the gospel. He would preach in small villages, uh, small settlements. He would preach in Indian villages. He would preach anywhere he possibly could to spread the gospel. And the dream that dominated his heart was that at the age of 30 in 1920, he felt called to the mission field. Felt that God was directing him. So he applied to the mission board of his fellowship to be placed in in foreign missions, feeling 100% convinced that this was God's call for his life, and his dreams were dashed when they said that his uh, his physical body was just too frail, and he felt as if he had failed. He was deeply disappointed. His dreams were crushed. Let me ask you this. How do we respond to disappointment? When when things happen to us like this, like maybe the job that you wanted to get, or or maybe, maybe you already have a job and it's the next job up. It's the promotion, and that does not come your way. How do we respond when something like that happens? How about when someone that we count on lets us down? How about when we ourselves, when we really mess something up? How do we respond? When we don't get the house that we really, we really wanted. In fact, we believe that God had that house for us. And it doesn't happen the way we think that it should happen. When our dreams don't become a reality. What I'd like to do today is share with you from John chapter 11 a story of disappointment that you may have never thought was a story of disappointment, but it includes considerable disappointment that I want us to look at today. 
It's the story of a brother and two sisters. More than likely, the sisters were both widowed, and they were living with their brother. It's the story of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And I want to give you some background on this story. They are very close friends with Jesus. When Lazarus got sick, they sent word to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this, okay? We have, um, we have something today that we can keep track of people. I, I mean, I can send out a text and, and tell you with really great certainty where, where all my family members are at this moment. I mean, now they're, if they're in church, they're not going to answer my text, but, but within just a, a relatively short period of time, I can tell. In fact, in fact, there are, there are apps on this phone that we can turn on so that, uh, that while he was in high school, I could know where Isaac was at any moment, my youngest. I, I could turn it on and see a little, a little dot on the map and call him, hey, how you doing? Oh, really? Where, where are you? Oh, that's funny. The dot on the phone doesn't say the same place you know, where you're telling. You, you see what I'm saying? We know. We know right now. The only way they knew where Jesus was going to be is because they were such close friends. They had his itinerary. Jesus wasn't in Bethany when Lazarus got sick. Jesus was 15 or 20 miles away in a community that is beyond the Jordan River. Um, the, the pronunciation of it would be Bethabara. And, and it's a place that, that Jesus went to preach. And, and Jesus undoubtedly had shared with them where he was. So they sent word to him. And that word, it's going to take a full day. It's going to be 15 or 20 mile journey. It's going to take a full day of travel in order to get there. And they expected Jesus to come immediately. They expected him to stop whatever he was doing and come. In fact, when they sent word, here's how they sent it. They didn't say, Lazarus is sick. They said, the one you love is sick. Now, if someone sent you a message, and the message simply said, the one you love is sick, would you know who that person was? It could be my wife, it could be my kids, it could be my dad, it could be my brothers, it could be my father-in-law, it could be a, another friend that I have in my life, but it could be one of a number of people. But Jesus' relationship with these people was so significant. His relationship with Lazarus was so, <clears throat> I want to say meaningful, but it was so substantial that, that all they had to do was say, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. In fact, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the book of John numerous times talks about the one whom Jesus loved. I've always interpreted that, and some do, still do. I've always interpreted that, that it was John just being humble. And, and there are many writers that believe that, that who... Uh, that's actually talking about was Lazarus because that terminology wasn't used until Lazarus comes on the scene as a friend of Jesus. So this relationship was really significant. 
So they said, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. They absolutely, they had, they had witnessed him healing other people before. They had witnessed him doing miracles. They had witnessed him feeding the 5,000. They had witnessed him uh, setting the demon-possessed free. They had witnessed the incredible power of God through Jesus, and they thought that he would come and heal their brother Lazarus immediately. Now, in reality, Lazarus died before the message ever got to Jesus. Because in order for the timing to work out correctly in Scripture, Lazarus would have died. They, they would have sent, well, they would have sent word first. And then after the word was sent, Lazarus died probably early in the day. And that day of travel for the messenger was day one. But we realize later that we find out that Jesus doesn't get back until four days after Lazarus is dead. And so they had expected Jesus to just come automatically. Jesus actually winds out hanging out for two days. So there's a day of travel. Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick. Okay, he does, He's not told that he's dead. He hangs out for two days, and then he travels a full day back. And by the time Jesus gets back, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. So this is something that leads to a conversation between Jesus, Martha, and Mary. And what I want us to look at today is how we can overcome disappointment in our lives. Number one, we need to acknowledge our disappointment. In John chapter 11, we see two verses, verse 21 and verse 32. They're very similar verses. I want to read them both. It says, Lord, in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then look at verse 32. When Martha reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. These sisters saw Jesus heal others and they assumed that Jesus would rush over and heal their brother. I want you to imagine with me their unspoken questions. The questions that were in their mind. I don't know if you have any any questions in your mind over things like this, but I want you to think. Put yourself in their situation for just a moment. But they had some, some questions that were going around in their mind. What took you so long? I think that would have been number one. What could have possibly been so important that you would not have dropped everything that you were doing and rushed over here to heal the one that you love? I mean, that question would have to be so significant. Um, I thought I thought we really meant something to you. I can hear people saying that. I can, I can hear it. That we would think something like that. That we might say something like that. You know, we know that you've healed other people 
and you weren't even near them? Why didn't you heal him from where you were? Why didn't you just speak the word? They saw it when others would approach Jesus and he would say, you know what? Your, your loved one is going to live. They're going to be well. And then those people go and find out, yep, indeed, their, their family were healed at that very same moment, the scripture says. So they know that that's possible. So Jesus, why wouldn't you have, if you really cared about, oh man, there's a good one. I ain't had written down. If you really cared about Lazarus, if you really cared about our family, the one that you loved, why wouldn't you have done that? Maybe they even thought to themselves, does Jesus really love us at all? I think some of us have had that thought before. Does God really even care for me? Does Jesus even love me? I don't know where I ran across this, but it's not original to me. But it says this, expectation is the root of all heartache. And that's a powerful thought. They expected. They expected Jesus to do what they wanted him to do. They're, they're grieving. They're grieving the loss of their brother Lazarus, but they are disappointed with Jesus. I want you to get that. They're grieving the loss of Lazarus, but they're disappointed with Jesus. And I think there's times when we're grieving the death of a dream, the loss of something in our lives, and we're disappointed with God. Just like Mary and Martha were. Disappointment is an emotion. And it's a, a very complicated emotion. It's, it's just not singular, okay? It's, just, it's not real easy to just pigeonhole. <laughs> Vince, I to have you come up here and, and share on, on what this is from a psychological standpoint. He's shaking his head, no, he's not coming up to do that. But it's, it's filled with things like anger. It's, it's got all sorts of other, of other layers to it, hurt and frustration and hopelessness. And what do we generally tend to do with emotions like this? Stuff them in. Stuff them down, get them down, don't let them come up, right? Isn't that what we like to do? Until something happens and it blows up, okay? Now they're everywhere. They're on the ceiling, they're on all the walls, you know. There's just hurt feelings everywhere, okay? I don't want you to deny the reality of, those, of the emotions like disappointment, but I, I want you, I want you to realize that God has really big shoulders. And he can handle you getting alone with him and telling him how you feel. Giving it to, just, just getting all those emotions out, all those feelings out. God can handle that. You don't ever have to worry that God is going to run away from you because he can't handle how you feel. He absolutely can handle it. Mary and Martha, they expressed those feelings. They were if-onlys. I'd never thought of that as a, if only, I, I just, I feel like I want to hold on to that and remember that. Mary and Martha had if onlys, if only. 
you had done this. That is saying, Jesus, I expected you to do this and you did not live up to my expectation. Have we ever put if onlys on people? Have we ever put if onlys on God before? And we just expected that God, I, I remember when I was young, I put an if only on God. I didn't share this in the first service, but I'll share it with you now. I put an if only on God. I said, God, if you'll take care of my family, I'll, I'll do this ministry thing my whole life. And, and, and that's, that's kind of our deal. I was putting an if only on God. And I, I came to realize that I can't do that. But their, their faith was limited to their own plan. But here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, I, I want you to know that you can have confidence that God is not going to abandon you. God is, is not done. His timing may not be what yours is, but he will continue working until his plan and his purpose is completed. So get that disappointment out. Get it out and deal with it. And I want you to understand, I'm talking about God, not about just every. Don't go home. And I know some of you are like, oh man, the preacher gave me permission. You're going to go home, go to the drawer, pull out that long list that you have of all your disappointments, and you're going to sit your family down and say, Pastor Kevin said I need to get my disappointments out. So here we go, number one. And you're just going to go, do not do that. If you do that, it's going to blow up on you. It is not going to be good. And I'm not telling you to do that. But I am telling you that between you and Jesus, you need to acknowledge your disappointment and how that disappointment, sometimes we, we put that on him, our if-onlys on God. Number two, we need to invite Jesus into our disappointment. Let's look at verse 33 of John 11. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, this is Mary now he's talking about. And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Now I want you to know something. Jesus is already asking to come into your disappointment. In fact, this morning as I was sharing in the first service, the thought came to me, Revelation 3.20, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. I, of course, I believe that means salvation. But I think it can also mean in our disappointment, Jesus is saying, let me in. I want in, but you need to invite me into your disappointment. And I believe that that is a word for us today. We need to invite him into our disappointments. And I'm going to give you some reasons why we should do that. Reason number one. 
Jesus understands disappointment. There's nothing like talking with someone who deeply understands from experience what we're going through, right? I mean, that just makes sense. It was obvious that Jesus loved Lazarus. Obvious. The people, they man, oh, ah, how he loved him. It was the way he was even referred to. But I want you to understand something. The Savior, and, and, and people were struggling with this. The Savior is not disengaged. The Savior is not disinterested. And the same is true for our lives. We think that God is up there somewhere. And he's not, he's not really knowing what's going on in our lives unless, of course, we're crying out to him, oh, oh, there, there you are. No, he's completely engaged in our lives. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. It's a prophecy of the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. That's Jesus. That's our, that's our Savior. He understands disappointment. You say, well, what do you mean? Mark chapter 15, verse 34, Jesus is hanging on the cross. What does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, as Jesus hung on the cross, the Father God, in a, in a, in a transaction, hung all of my sin, all of your sin, all the sin of the world, hung that sin on Jesus. And Jesus, at that moment, in his humanness, did not know that the Father would need to look away. And he is crying out on the cross in grief and in disappointment that his Father has looked away from him. Jesus understands our disappointment he felt genuinely forsaken at that moment. He understands. And when we come to him and when we bring our disappointments, whether of him or another, he understands. Secondly, the reason we need to invite him into our disappointments is because others are going to take our side. They're going to feed our disappointments. Because they're compassionate. It's misplaced, but they're, they're trying to be compassionate. They're trying to be empathetic. And they actually feed into our disappointment. But that causes us to question God in a greater way. This is something that we see in the life of Jesus. When Jesus had prophesied that he was going to die, Peter takes him aside. And I can imagine that in, when, when Jesus prophesied that he was going to die, Jesus wasn't excited about that, okay? Jesus, Jesus was, he was 100% human and 100% divine. He was not looking forward to this. He was, this was, uh, this was a, this was a bummer, okay? This wasn't an easy thing. Peter takes him aside and says, Jesus, listen, you can't talk like that. You can't, you can't say those things. And what, how, does, how does Jesus reply to Peter when Peter is feeding into this 
in, in, and, and wants to, to feed into it. Look at what, what uh, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 23. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus didn't allow him to do that. He said, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. When people want to feed into our disappointment, it feels good in the moment, but it is destructive. It's destructive to our spiritual lives. It's destructive to our connection with God the Father. It is a stumbling block to our faith. It is about human concern. It is not taking into account God's concern. Scripture says if God is for us, who can be against us? And the third reason that I think we need to Uh, invite Jesus into our disappointment is this, and I love this one. He's willing to get into the stink, okay? He's willing to get into the stink. I I love this, okay? Uh, What did they say to Jesus when he said, hey, you know, where's the the tomb? Where have you put Lazarus? And they, they said, He's over here, and they go, and, they, and he says, I want you to take away the stone. And they say, you can't do that. You can't do it. He, he smells. What they're saying is, in a medical sense, is decomposition has already started. And the smell is going to be awful. You cannot do that. Have you ever had a friend that was willing to get down into the stink with you in your life? Not everybody has, okay? Because it's tough. But that person that will get right down into the nasty, smelly stuff with us in our life, don't ever lose that person. Because that is a gift from God. When we have that, we really have something. He's willing to get down into the stink in our lives. Let me ask you or, or, or remind you what they were saying is, is why, why didn't uh, Jesus, he, they said it, um, he who opened the eyes of the blind, why didn't he heal him while he was still alive? They're thinking that as this is happening. And we wonder, we read the scripture, and we're like, why? Why would this happen? What would be the kind of purpose? We know that Jesus has done these things. And I ran across something this week. I'd never run across this before, and I I just want to share it with you. It comes from the rabbinical writings. It's called the Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud from the second century. And these were rabbinical writings. They are not the anointed word of God. They are not scripture. They are not on that authority. But in the second century, this is what the rabbis were teaching the the Hebrew, the Jewish people at that time. And here's what it says. For the first three days after death, the soul floats above the body, thinking that it will return to the body. Hmm. Jesus waited two days, came back on the fourth day. Maybe what he had in mind was to raise Lazarus after four days specifically so that people would be able to compare that to what the rabbis were teaching. 
and be able to say, now wait a second, that doesn't line up, okay? And when I say that, here's what I, what I say, that God has purposes that are unknown to us. Isaiah 46, 11, what I have said, that I will bring about, what I have planned, that I will do. God has purposes, God has plans that you and I don't understand. And he has a reason for the timing that he has. And God has those purposes. We do need to take our disappointments and bring them to him. We need to be specific with him. And I want you to understand that as, as, as with him being willing to get down in the stink, we need to be specific with him. And I assure you that the greatest miracles in your life will take place in the, great, in the face of the greatest pain that you've ever had in your life. So get real with him. Get real with him. Tell him how it is, how you feel. Don't be afraid because he's willing to get down in the stink with you. Invite him into your disappointment. I hope you don't forget that. And then thirdly, in order to overcome disappointment, we need to allow God to help us to see it differently. So what did he want them to see differently? Because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. I want you to get this. Grab a hold of this. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed in the resurrection. Okay? They believed. They were his closest followers. Verse 22 in John 11. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. They believed. Okay, they were fully committed followers of Jesus, but Jesus wanted them to see something else. And I think that something else comes from verse 25 when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. He needed a dead guy. He needed that to teach them, to show them what he wanted them to see. He wanted them to see that he had the power over death, hell, and the grave. When they took the stone away, Jesus prayed. Verse 43 it says, When he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of, uh, of linen and a cloth around his face. I want you to know that's the, the picture, okay? This is the picture of our, of our dead dreams, our unmet expectations. When we invite Jesus into our disappointment, he stands at the mouth of the cave and he's willing to get down in the stink with us and he will speak out over that disappointment Come forth. And those dead dreams that you have had will come to life. But they will come to life in his time. You see, their disappointment kept them from seeing. What, 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 what is your disappointment? How is it clouding your vision? What is it that we're not able to see? 
You see, they were open to a miracle. Mary and Martha were open to a miracle. They believed that Jesus could have spoke from 20 miles away and it would be done. They believed that. They believed that he could have come while Lazarus was sick and heal him. They believed that God would answer him even now, whatever he wanted. They were open to a miracle, but they were open to their miracle more than they were to Jesus' miracle because they had an expectation, they had an assumption. Are you open to God's miracle? God's miracle in God's way, in God's timing? Or are you wallowing in disappointment? You know, it actually feels good for a while. It's like a victim mentality, maybe. We kind of, that's maybe, you know, for some people it keeps them company all the time. But it can feel a little bit good sometimes. Are we blaming God for our disappointment? I want you to know God is not limited by our expectations. Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. He wants us to see his faithfulness. He wants us to see his power, his authority. That when he speaks life over your dead dream, they will come to life. Not you. Mary and Martha wanted to speak it over their brother. They wanted to be the ones that said, yes, this is how it's going to happen. And Jesus waited. He waited till there was no possible hope. The, the, The spirit has long left. The spirit's not hovering around above the body, waiting to return to the body. Nope, it's gone. It's done. And now Jesus calls it forth. You know, Oswald Smith, his passion for his dream never subsided. Here's what he said after he was rejected by his missions organization. He said, if I can't go myself, then I will send someone else. He planted a church in Toronto And over the course of his ministry, he took 21 tours around the world to promote evangelism and missions. His church sent more missionaries than any other church in Canada. They supported 500 missionaries around the world. And after his death in 1986, Billy Graham wrote this about Oswald Smith. As a missionary statesman, he stands alone. There was no equal. Oswald Smith did not allow his disappointment to derail him. Oswald Smith allowed God to transform his disappointment into a tremendous victory. Friends, I want you to know that your hope is not in your dream. Our hope is in the Lord. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 in the New King James, it says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I believe today that this message has been for some people very specifically. 
And so as we close our service, I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes, bow your head, and just make this a very personal moment between you and God right now. I'm not going to call anybody forward. I'm not going to put a mic in anybody's mouth, obviously. We never do that. But just close yourself in with God. And if you are struggling with disappointment in your life, I believe that this moment is for you. Because I believe that God is calling. And he is wanting to be invited into your disappointment. If you're, if you're dealing with that disappointment today, and I don't know what it would be over, I don't, I don't, I don't venture a guess, but if you're struggling with disappointment today, this message has been for you. And if that's you, I, I just simply want you to acknowledge, just, just between the two of us and to the Lord, that, that that's you. So I want to start there. If you've been dealing with disappointment, just slip your hand up just briefly. Yes. Okay. All right. Father, I thank you just for the acknowledgement this morning that there's disappointment that some of us have been struggling with and dealing with. And Father, I pray that as we close our time together, Father, I pray that we will come to a place where we move from, from struggling with disappointment to making a declaration. Making a declaration that says, God, I'm giving you my disappointment. I've invited you into it and I'm giving it to you today. And I want to exchange my disappointment for the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. And I want to make that declaration today. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak a spirit of hope over these lives, these individuals that have said, I'm struggling with some disappointment. Father, I pray today that we will see that exchange. And I pray that it will begin even now with a declaration. And if you want to make a declaration like that in your life, and you, you said, I'm one of those people that was struggling with disappointment, and I want to make that kind of declaration in my life, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand now. Maybe not everybody will raise their hand That's, that made that. But you say, I want to make the declaration that my hope is in the Lord and that I'm going to exchange that hope for my disappointment. There's, there's hands that are up. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that even now as we make that declaration, I pray that as we walk from this place today, there will be something different in us. That we will no longer feel that gnawing sense, that gnawing question of why weren't you here? If you, would, if you had only been here, Lord, the, the question of our if onlys, we will no longer feel that, but instead we will sense that our hope is in the Lord. Father, I pray that this will not be something that we don't think about after today, but this will be something that we continue to think about. God, continue to move in us, work in us, we pray. 
in Jesus' name.